please stand and join us as we worship our God together. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we worship you.
His stripes, we are here. 
hearts as we think about the world and how you want to give us your heart for the world that you created and love. So we pray that you would, you would bless our worship today and that uh, we would learn of you and continue to be transformed by you. We pray this through Christ. Amen. We encourage you to share a word of greeting here. Take a few moments. Uh, we're going to extend our time a little bit. So walk around, talk to folks. upside down. In case you're wondering what's going on, I'm giving an announcement just before the mission spot and the choir group is getting ready for something that'll blow you right out of the church. So just hang on. This is a a day when we pack a lot into our schedule, so just a couple of announcements. During the 940 service, uh, the normal Sunday school hour, all adult classes and the youth will be in the community room for an amazing time with uh, our contingency from Buffalo, New York. Steve and Ruth Strand, our missionaries there with the Urban Advocacy, and then uh, Pastor Joshua from our newest Wesleyan or affiliated church, a refugee church, and uh, also a number of students and musicians. It's going to be a great time, and even John Cole saw that we have donuts. So um, we hope that you will stay, if you aren't used to staying for Sunday school, for this amazing hour together where we learn about the ministries to God's people in Buffalo, New York. Thank you. And then um, just want to mention that at 11 o'clock, there is a college Sunday school class or gathering this meeting over in room 105 if you're here at that time. I do want to introduce our speaker for today a little later in the service. I know for some of you, this is a no-brainer. Everybody knows uh, Carolyn Payne Miller. Uh, Carolyn and John are probably, right now, some of our longest standing missionaries that we've supported from this church. They've served with Wycliffe Bible uh, Translators since the 1960s, early 1960s, in Southeast Asia. First in Vietnam, and they are uh, very instrumental in translating the Brew New Testament, and there's a whole story there. And One of the major moments in Houghton history was when they returned from captivity uh, nine months uh, under the Viet Cong. So we've been following Carolyn for many years. She's gone on to the highest of leadership for SIL, Summer Institute of Linguistics, or the academic side of Wycliffe Bible Translators. 
Uh, and that's a whole train of Houghton graduates who've been in leadership in Wycliffe. Then they've been leaders in Southeast Asia for a number of language groups and currently still continuing while living in Houghton on the Brew New Testament, uh, Brew Dictionary, and in other language consult consulting. So it's a great privilege for our church to welcome the, uh, the Millers. John? Oh, and just to mention, also one week from today, we're collecting our uh, Matthew 820 initiative. So next Sunday, whether you have a jar or not, uh, we're continuing that. Good morning. I'm Pastor John, if you don't know who I am. And uh, this morning, our missions moment is brought to you by the Partners at Home Committee. One part of our mission as a church is to focus on the needs that exist right here in our own community. And Partners at Home is a ministry that's been around for a long time, but maybe under some different names. But we're a group that's dedicated to trying to improve the daily lives of those in need right here in our own congregation and also in the community around us. And the need can often be hard to see because it, it doesn't always look like this. And I know from experience in my own life, our own lives often look like this. Right? Anybody resonate with that? So although it's not an intentional oversight, we don't always see the needs that exist around us. But it is a reality that affects more people near and dear to us than we realize. As a committee, we've recently been restructuring and organizing our efforts to become a more effective and active group. And in doing so, we've developed an ambitious ministry called Project Grace, which stands for giving, restoring, advocating, caring, and engaging. Since the introduction of Project Grace in October, we've helped community and church members with food and broken water pipes and heating issues, preparations for winter, vehicle repairs, utility bills, rent expenses, and vehicle registration. And these applications come in almost daily. We've also initiated a foster care closet under Project Grace. And this is a loan closet for foster care families. So sometimes when a child is placed in a foster care home, uh, it happens very suddenly. And living where we do, it can be difficult to prepare when you don't have much notice. And so the foster care closet collects donated items that can be loaned out to foster care families for, for these situations. You know, until they have time to adjust to their new family member. On a similar note, we've started a backpack program for foster care children. Again, in some situations, placement can be immediate, and children aren't always able to go home to get personal items. And with the backpack program, we collect donated backpacks and fill them with basic necessities, a few personal items that kids can have to call their own. And with this, we work directly with the county, so when a child is placed, the county has access to whatever bags they need. I think just to have a backpack with a few things that you call your own can make a big difference for a kid. Another thing we've done is the, our Daily Bread Initiative in cooperation with Fillmore Central School. Roughly 30% of Fillmore students identified by the school do not have sufficient amounts of food when they're home for extended weekends or, or for long breaks. And since November, we've sent into the school 360 brown bags filled with food that can help sustain students through breaks or long weekends. And speaking of food, the food pantry also falls under Partners at Home. In the past month, we've helped more than 12 families and have had four more requests for assistance. People make use of the service for a variety of reasons. Some have long-term financial issues, but some are just folks in our community who need a little extra help in a given month. And the food pantry is very active. 
Finally, the Church's Benevolent Fund also falls under the Partners at Home and is our primary source of funding for these activities. And without the Benevolent Fund, we wouldn't be able to function. In John 13, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he says to his disciples, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Our goal as the Partners at Home Committee is to help our church be this kind of love to each other and to the community around us. As you see, there's lots to do, and there's lots more than we're able to do at this time. But we're hoping, through prayer and with your help, uh, we'll continue to be able to expand this program. And if you're interested in becoming involved, we'd love to have your energy and your ideas and uh, your skill set, your willing hands. Our contact information is in the bulletin insert that uh, you have in your hand. So thank you very much.
celebrates and uh, rejoices in who you are. This morning as uh, we gather in this place, we are reminded that you are about the whole world. You're about us and you're about everyone else. And your love reaches into every corner, every place in this whole world. And we celebrate that. We celebrate the day when, when people from every tribe and nation and tongue and, but will gather in your kingdom to worship you and to celebrate your greatness. And Father, we sense the calling on us now to be agents of healing and reconciliation and transformation for you in this world so that more and more people will come to know you and know the joy of life with you. We thank you, Father, that you blessed us as a church with with so many uh, people who have gone uh, out of this place. Some of us sitting here, who have been witnesses to your grace in this world. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for John and Carolyn Miller, for their years of service in Southeast Asia. We pray that you will continue to pour out your blessing upon them as they serve you living here, but helping others throughout the world, particularly to know and to have the scriptures in their heart language. Father, we pray that you will bless Carolyn as she speaks to us this morning. May your anointing be upon her and upon us as we hear. We pray for the church around the world, and we think of particularly of our brothers and sisters who live under great opposition and persecution. We thank you for the ministry of Open Doors that is training Syrian wives and mothers to, to help their family. And we pray, Father, that you will continue to provide places of safety, and fellowship, and faith amidst of huge challenges. Father, we pray for refugees around the world. And in this, this time, even in our own country, where we are struggling to know what to do with people who have so many needs, we pray, Father, that you will give us your wisdom and your heart. And we pray, Father, that you will help refugees all over the world to know safety and security and your loving embrace. Father, we pray that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing upon our nation and upon the leaders of our nation, that they will have your heart and your mind in whatever level of government they may serve. Father, we pray for the needs that we represent right among us. We ask, Father, that you will, you will help those of us who are grieving, pour out your spirit of comfort and peace in the midst of pain and heartache. And we pray, Father, for all who are struggling with illness and ask for your healing grace upon each one. Work miraculously in the needs that, that are forefront in our minds and the needs that Perhaps no one else knows about, but you do. Father, and I'll walk with you. May we sense your peace and your grace every moment. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ, one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed for children's church and junior church. It always seems nice to me to be able to stand when we have the reading of God's word when we are able, and I invite you to do so. 2 Corinthians 4, 1-6, Therefore, Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You take our lives, flawed yet beautiful. Restore, refine. Lord, you're merciful. Redeem, revive, Spirit of God, breathe on your church, pour out your presence, speak through your
Enjoyed that music this morning? That was wonderful, wasn't it? I especially liked the fact that we had different languages. That was pretty special. I owe a great debt of gratitude to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. When I was a child, my parents brought me every morning, every Sunday morning and Sunday evening. We sat right over there in the front because my parents figured that children listened better if they were up front. All through my years of schooling at the little two-room village school down the road, and later at Houghton Academy, Houghton College, this was my church home. And when, as Paul noted, when I left for Vietnam to marry John, this church sent me off. And later they welcomed us back when we were released from prison with a big parade. After that, as we served in the Philippines, Malaysia, Laos, Thailand, 
The people of Holy Church prayed for us, and they supported us financially. There's no way I can ever express my appreciation for this church. Our service has been, as Paul noted, with the Wycliffe Bible Translators and the Summer Institute of Linguistics, two organizations that have worked closely together for about 75 years. In fact, it is, I think, 75 this year. The Wycliffe U.S., Wycliffe Bible Translators U.S., is one of an organization in the Wycliffe Global Alliance, which is a network of organizations in many countries that recruit and help people raise support for doing Bible translation. SIL is an organization of about 5,500 people coming from over 60 countries that trains and administers these people as they serve in other countries in language development, multilingual education, and Bible translation. SIL has conducted language analysis in more than 2,500 languages, spoken by 1.7 billion people in nearly 100 countries. Our own role in the organization has been varied and has taken us to many places in the world. We've been involved in language learning and translation, in teacher training, in preparation of educational materials, university teaching, writing technical articles on linguistics, developing dictionaries, doing language survey, serving as administrators, and traveling internationally as part of the International Board of Directors. All of this has been with the aim of serving language communities that are without the word of God in their own language. During the more than 55 years that we've been involved in this work, we've seen immense changes in the world, both in the areas where we worked, as well as in this country that we came from, particularly in respect to cross-cultural Christian ministry. Changes in transportation and communication have made the world a much smaller place. When John left for Vietnam by freighter, the trip took more than a month. When I joined him two years later, I went by plane, but it took several days, stopping on the West Coast, Honolulu, Guam, before getting to Saigon. The only voice communication we had during those two years was one phone call to mark our engagement. When John booked a call from the central post office in Saigon, after making sure I would be on hand in Houghton to receive the call, it wasn't even considered an option that he might come back to the US for the wedding or that our families could go to Vietnam. The cost was simply prohibitive. It took over two weeks to get a letter over the years, we've seen this change. When we moved out of our Bangkok apartment this past year, our neighbors showed us a scrap of paper that we'd given them in 2008 to indicate where we would be over the next three months. The paper listed places that we had planned to go, such as 
uh, Indonesia, Dallas, Texas, Nairobi, Manila, Mumbai, as well as, as places such as Udon in Thailand and other places in the country. Similarly, when our grandson was married last summer in California, his parents and sister, the Dodies, who served with Wycliffe in Thailand, booked very reasonable flights and came back for the wedding. Email, Skype, instant messaging, and a host of other options make instant communication possible all over the world. I could pull out my phone now and see what Wan Tong is doing in Laos. It's not too late yet. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And he sends me photographs and prayer requests. It's possible to send texts, voicemail, even photos to most any location at any time. Last Sunday morning, as we were getting ready for church, I received a smartphone message from Sabah, Malaysia, to let us know that a, video, a voice recording of the Karazan New Testament that we had worked on in Malaysia is now available online. The Brew New Testament is also available both in print and in voice recording, and soon the whole Bible will be on smartphones in Laos and Vietnam. Changes in technology have been impressive. In 1962, when we moved into a brew village in the mountains near the 17th parallel that divided South Vietnam from North Vietnam, very few people spoke anything but brew. There were, we were among the very few foreigners in the whole district. And uh, there was no school in the village. All the villagers were subsistence rice farmers. Our wind-up reel-to-reel recorder was a source of fascination to the brew because it could play brew stories and brew songs that we had recorded. People showed up night after night at our house wanting to hear these songs and stories played over and over again. Our portable typewriter had been adapted to Vietnamese font but the brew language had no written form. When we eventually purchased a gas refrigerator, we were able to keep food longer and to enjoy cool drinks. One noon after a meal at which we enjoyed cold water, we threw the ice cubes out on the ground beside our house and went back to work. A bit later, we heard our neighbor calling out to our language helper. Carlou, Carlou, come quick. We rushed to the window and looked down, and there he was standing on the ground holding an ice cube between two sticks. And he said, it bites, it bites. <laughs> the brew could never understand how a, a fire under a metal box could produce cold. I don't understand it either, frankly. <laughs> Just enjoy it. When we lived in Sabah, Malaysia, in the 80s and 90s, our home was a, in the Katazan village was a small wooden house up on stilts at the end of a suspension bridge. We had buffalo resting in the shade of the, underneath the house, but we had electricity 
and even running water. And while we were there, we, uh, a bright red telephone was installed in our house, linking us to the rest of the world. Computers, photocopiers, and cassette recorders were available for our work. Before we left Thailand this past year, we were working in a row of four-story buildings near the Mekong River with high-speed internet, where people from neighboring countries could come to the center and work on their own language development. Computer technology had produced tools for editing and sharing materials, for checking translation, preparing textbooks, and adapting materials from one language to another closely related language, thus extending translation in one language to a closely related one. With all these changes in travel, communication and technology, language communities in many parts of the world have become less isolated. The search for better jobs has resulted in urbanization uh, bilingualism in many cases, and language shift. Some linguists have predicted that as many as a third of the world's languages are in danger of extinction. Is it necessary, you might ask, to translate the Bible into the mother tongue of these groups? Why can't they use the Bible in a national language or in English? But when you get to know these people, you find that very few of these people in these marginal languages can speak the national language or languages of wider communication. And even for those who do, nothing speaks to them, to their heart, like the mother tongue. I remember sitting at a Katazan translation committee in Sabah, Malaysia, uh, one time. Several on the committee were elementary school teachers, and they knew Malaysia, Bahasa Malaysia well. They knew English. Uh, the person who was reading was a school principal, a catechist, and a translator for Radio Malaysia into Katazan. We were checking the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. <clears throat> and as Uncle Peter read this text, uh, he came to the part on treatment of enemies. And I heard one of the teachers say to the person sitting next to her, isn't easy to be a Christian, you know? And then when he came to the part on divorce, he stopped. And he looked at the translator. Is that what it says? He asked. I think so, she replied. Then he looked over at me, where I was following along in the Greek text. Is that what it says? He asked me. I think so, I replied. Is there a problem? He read the verse again, and then he looked at the only single man on the committee and said, you better be careful who you marry. Now, I'm sure he had read that verse before in Malay and probably in English, but when he read it in his own language, it suddenly became personal. It became real. Though changes in travel, communication, technology have made the work 
easier in many ways, other changes have made the work more difficult, especially to those wanting to engage in Christian ministry. Tourists are generally welcome anywhere in the world, as long as they bring money and spend it. But increasingly, uh, nationalism and anti strong anti-Christian pressure has made it difficult to get a visa to live and work in many countries. You may be required to perform a time-consuming job that the government thinks is of value to the country, even though it isn't what you really wanted to do. And you're generally expected to train local citizens to replace you fairly quickly. And this is not easy to do, especially if you're working with a minority group with minimal education. Within the American church, there have also been changes. At a recent visit to the Wycliffe Center in Orlando, Florida, we were told that few churches will allow returning missionaries or those wanting to join mission organizations to speak to the whole church, as I am doing today. Generally, five or ten minutes, several times a year, is considered adequate. At the same time, the rising cost of living in many parts of the world has made, made it increasingly difficult to get adequate support, especially for a growing family. Short-term missions has, in many cases, become the norm. Caught up in the excitement of sending their own young people for a missions trip, many churches are uninterested in supporting those who have a commitment to a longer term. But you can't learn a language or engage in language development and translation on a two-week mission trip. Young people today are often reluctant to make a long-term commitment to missions, although I learned recently that a large percent of those seeking to serve in Wycliffe as a, with a career in Wycliffe have had a previous short-term missions experience that has encouraged him to take that, them to take that step. In some churches, the translation of the word into another language is seen to be peripheral and less important than evangelism and church planting, though how a church could be expected to grow and withstand the false doctrines which are so prevalent around the world everywhere today is something that I cannot imagine. But some things have not changed. The need hasn't changed. According to the latest statistics that I looked up, there's still 1,431 minority language groups that are still without any scriptures. Many, if not most of these, belong to groups that are marginalized because of their language or because of racial differences. So they have no access to the development and higher education that are available to others. These groups are generally at the bottom of the sociolinguistic ladder both financially and in terms of their feelings of worth and dignity. They're considered inferior, and their languages, they are told, are useless. 
they are truly the least of these with whom Jesus asked his disciples to share resources. The Another thing that hasn't changed is the command. The words of Matthew 28, 19, and 20 are still as valid today as they were when the Lord Jesus spoke them. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. It's all ethne in the Greek, all people groups. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. But how can people obey if they don't know or understand what Jesus commanded? The opposition hasn't changed, <clears throat> though we may feel it more keenly in our own society now. Opposition has always been a factor, and always will be. Jesus said in John, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. He also told his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Materialism, nationalism, religious pluralism, militant anti-Christian opposition, all of these still continue to be weapons in Satan's arsenal. the response on the part of God's people hasn't really changed either. God continues to call and send out those who will give themselves to the ministry of his gospel. As I traveled to many of the countries where SIL is working, I was continually impressed by the caliber of people that God has called to give themselves to the ministry of Bible translation. Many of these have come from Houghton College. These are people who are flexible and willing to adapt to change. They've committed themselves to the hard work of learning another language, and it's still hard work. Adapting to another culture. They work in teams that are increasingly cross-cultural, so they have to learn to adapt to the language of the place where they're working, but also the culture of their many teammates. In the center where we worked in Thailand, it was a small team, <coughs> but it was made up of people from Wycliffe US, Wycliffe Netherlands, Wycliffe Canada, Wycliffe Thailand, Wycliffe Singapore, as well as people from the various language groups where we were serving. These people that God has called are those who are committed to building relationships and serving governments, local institutions, and both majority and minority language groups. They're willing to be accountable to field administration as well as to their supporting constituencies back in their home country. Sometimes not an easy balance. They operate with transparency and honesty knowing that in this small world, what they say in their newsletter or on social media may be read and heard by people in places where they're working as well as by the critics of their work. 
They're flexible, they're willing to take jobs that they hadn't planned on doing, and to work with people from other organizations and sending countries. They have great persistence, a willingness to hang in there when doors seem to be slamming all around them. Finally, and most importantly, the word, the power of God's word to change lives has not changed. In Isaiah 55, God says that his word will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I send it. When we prepared to go to the brew, I wondered how we could ever convince a people who had never heard of the Bible and knew nothing about the Christian faith that the Bible was important to them, that it was, in fact, the word of God. We learned, as Paul did when he went to, the Thessalon when he went to Thessalonica, that this wasn't something we needed to worry about, and it wasn't part of our job anyway. God's Spirit took his word, translated into the brew language, and produced life and faith in those that heard it. We saw it happen in the brew church that continues to grow both numerically and spiritually despite the hardship and difficulties that they face on a daily basis. God's word is still living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Several years ago, we had opportunity to go back after 43 years to visit the village in Vietnam where we had started our work. It was a very short two-day visit, which had to be cleared by the Vietnamese security police, and we were watched all the time we were there. The New Testament had been available for uh, 30 years, and the Brew Bible was in the final stages of preparation. We stayed at a hotel in the district center and went to the village the first day. We walked up the hill to a preschool that had been started for brew children. And then we went to the church where people were gathered to welcome us. It was packed. It was an emotional meeting for all of us. Later, we went back to the district center where church leaders from some 23 brew villages had been invited to come and meet with us. Smartphones were very much in evidence, and everyone wanted their picture taken with us. A few months before we returned to the U.S. this past spring, I was standing near the coffee pot at the Language Center in Northeast Thailand. A number of brew people serve on the staff there. I was listening from a distance to two of our brew co-workers who were discussing what our work had meant to the brew people as a whole. One was a brew pastor who had come to the center to help with the preparation of a brew dictionary. The other was a university graduate who was helping with a translation into a language closely related to his. One was a son and the other a grandson of two men that had worked closely with us before we had to leave Vietnam at the time of the communist takeover. They were discussing how having their language recognized as a written language has brought dignity and a sense of worth to their entire people group, not just the believers. And they 
said that having God's word in their own language has brought belief in God to so many villages and so many people that the government has given up trying to eradicate it and has been forced to accept the fact that the Christian faith is a part of their cultural tradition. I stood in the background and listened and marveled that God had given us the privilege of seeing how he has caused his word to be fruitful in the lives of the Blue Church. During the time we were in prison in Vietnam, our interrogators were always trying to figure out who had sent us and what our motivation was for being there. I remember one session in which I had shared that my faith in God and my belief that the Bible was God's word caused me to want to share it with others. The interrogator said, well, you don't know if there's a God, but you believe. And I agreed that this was true. And because you believe, you've taught the brew people about this God. Then I nodded. He says, they don't know if there is a God or not, but they believe. And then he said, they'll remember you. Every time they read the Bruce scripture, every time they see their language in writing, every time they read the Bruce scripture, they'll remember you. And I thought, is he trying to encourage me? <laughs> but then I realized that he was pointing out my crime. Because he continued, not only will these people remember you, but they'll tell their children about you. And their children will tell their children, and it will be many years before the effects of what you have done will be able to be undone. I was a bit shaken. I went back to the room and told John what this interrogator had said. And his response was, well, praise the Lord. He's right, you know. <laughs> That's a pretty good testimonial to the effectiveness of our work. But how little we expected at that time that God would give us the privilege of meeting and actually working with some of our spiritual grandchildren. Some time ago, a brew friend wrote to us and to you, our partners, saying, Now the people who are in the group of Jesus Christ our Lord, every one of them knows this. If you drink water, you remember the person who dug the well. If you eat fruit, you remember the person who planted the tree. In this same way, we never forget the labor that you, our brothers and sisters, expended pouring out your lives for the souls of the brew. But I don't know what we can do to repay the very great labor. We can only bow before the Lord in thanks and pray great blessings from the Lord to be poured out on you, our brothers and sisters. I can't think of any more fulfilling way to invest one's life than in giving a group of people God's word in their own language.
Please stand and join us as we sing. Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.